0: We're going to be uh, looking at um, Luke chapter eleven. There's five uh, sermons that we'll be uh, getting into uh, in Luke eleven. So uh, the reading today it will be on the screen, um, but if you've got your own Bible, then certainly have that open so you can follow along. Now today we come to this very familiar passage, uh, Jesus teaching um, on prayer, and uh, it's a, a, a Passage that I'm sure we all know very well. Uh, However, it's certainly one that we need to revisit regularly and uh, understand uh, what prayer is about. So let's read uh, these four verses. This is God's Word. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of God. wonder if there's anyone here today who considers themselves good at prayer. Okay, hey, would you be so bold as to say, I am a good prayer? I think it goes without saying that most Christians, maybe all, uh, feel that there is a lot to learn, a lot, a lot of improvement that could be made uh, in our prayer lives. Uh, I know I um, sometimes feel like that when I go to a presbytery meeting Uh, Because at this presbytery meeting, uh, there's one particular minister that I just love to hear pray. Uh, He's really good at it, (laughs) which might sound a strange thing to say, but uh, he just seems to know God really well and knows how to talk to God. And so I love when he prays. It's just uh, so encouraging. Um, But what happens usually when you hear someone praying really well, uh, it, it reminds you that, yeah, I've got a lot to learn. I can really grow in this area. And that certainly seems to be the situation that took place at the start of Luke chapter 11 uh, because we're told that Jesus was praying in a certain place and then when he finished, uh, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, c- can you just imagine that? Can you imagine hearing Jesus pray? Can you imagine what it would be like to hear the the Son of God speaking with his Father. That must have been some experience. No wonder they're saying, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to be able to talk uh, to God the way you do. And uh, that's actually what I want to stir up uh, in us all this morning, that we would all have this attitude of, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. That's what this passage uh, should stir up in all of us. And uh, to do that, we're going to look at three things that this passage teaches us. It teaches us why we need to pray, teaches us how we need to pray, and it also teaches us who we need uh, to pray. So first, why we need to pray. Uh, We see why we need to pray in uh, here where Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. Father. See uh, that? He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, we're probably very familiar with this, and so we forget how radical that was when Jesus actually taught this. Um, Because in those days, people, believers, they wouldn't address God as Father. That that almost seemed too impersonal. uh, Sorry, too informal. uh, A bit too chummy. Uh, you know, I mean, the Old Testament does refer to God as Father on a number of occasions, usually as an illustration of his care for his people. However, believers back then would not use the term Father in their personal prayer, because it just seemed too informal. And yet Jesus taught us to say Father. Why? Because that's how he prayed. If you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and look at every time where are tells us, uh, where it records Jesus praying, you'll see that he always addresses God in heaven as Father. Except on one occasion. There was one time when he didn't say Father. Instead he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time he didn't say Father. And it's because it was in that moment that he was being separated from the Father. Why for our sin stepping in our place to bear the punishment we deserve in that moment he didn't say father but every other moment when he prayed he he addressed his father now in praying that way jesus is actually giving us a little peek into the very identity of god that god is triune three in one Uh, You see, uh, the Father that, that Jesus spoke to, he is God. Jesus, the Son, he is God. The Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son send, he is God. See, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there's not three gods, but one God. And so how do we understand all of that? Well, that's where we have the Trinity. Three persons, In the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three persons are equally God. That's the Trinity. That's who God is. And what that shows us is that for all of eternity, God has always known perfect friendship. He's always known this this sense of relationship, communion, speaking, talking with one another. The persons of the Trinity in that unhindered, eternal conversation. And so that shows us that when God created the world, he didn't create the world because he was lonely. Uh, sometimes people imagine God sitting in the dark for all, all of eternity, and then one day, I'm sick of this, I need someone to chat to, I'll create some people and now I'll be able to have a relationship. It's not like that at all. God in himself has a relationship for all of eternity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this joy of eternal, unhindered conversation. And so when we see the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, stepping into history, you know, becoming a man in Jesus, we see that he continued to know his Father as he has always known him for all of eternity, as Father, Father. Now, here's the point of me telling you all of this. I mean, it's not as early as the nine o'clock service, so you can probably handle some heavy theology. Uh, But the reason I'm telling you about the Trinity uh, is because when we see Jesus calling, uh, talking to his Father, and then inviting us to also call God Father, we're seeing the very heart of what prayer is all about. That prayer is all about being invited into this relationship that Jesus has in the Trinity where we can call God Father. This is an invitation into this relationship. Uh, he is inviting us to know the Father as he knows the Father, which is just incredible. Now, this is why if you read uh, through the Gospels, you often see Jesus um, pulling away from the crowds, you know, looking for, for somewhere to go where he can just be alone with his Father in that conversation, In prayer. See, for Jesus, prayer was not a duty to perform. It was about being with his father. Prayer wasn't a spiritual discipline that he had to exercise, even though it is that. But primarily, prayer for Jesus was about relationship. It was about talking, communing with his father and so for us before we ever think of prayer as a spiritual discipline that i have to do we first need to realize that prayer is about the enjoyment of god relationship with the father talking and see, when we get that this question of why we need to pray it's actually answered why do we need to pray because talking is what relationships are all about if you're in a relationship with god then talking is what that relationship is all about. I mean, it's like that with any close relationship. It's all about talking, communicating, knowing each other, sharing your thoughts, sharing your hopes, your dreams, your sorrows, your pain, uh, talking, getting to know each other well. And for that to happen, you actually need time set aside where the relationship is the primary focus. So, for example, if you're a parent, and uh, you might know what I'm talking about, but um, you, know, you know those times when it dawns on you like, yikes, I haven't really um, spent time with my children lately just having good chat. You know, we get so busy, the days fly by, and after a while it, it suddenly dawns on you, I haven't talked to them, haven't had that great conversation. Uh, and so how do you resolve that? You don't sit them down and say, OK, I've got five minutes, start talking, let's uh, get this relationship going. That's not how it works. The only way you can do it is to throw the schedule out, block out everything else. All hindrances gone, all the multitasking stopped. You need to be able to slow down and create space where the relationship is the focus. And usually that means a whole day out, because it's usually in that context where you can have a good chat. And uh, that's how it works in relationships. To enjoy a relationship, to maintain a relationship, to grow in a relationship, you need time where you can talk freely. And again, that's what we see in Jesus. If you read through Luke's Gospel, Luke constantly draws our attention to the way Jesus puts that into practice. Uh, So chapter four, verse 42, chapter five, verse 16, chapter six, verse 12, chapter nine, verse 18, Chapter 9, verse 28, do you see? It's right through the gospel where Jesus, he had the crowd constantly after him. Everyone wants a miracle. They want this and that fixed. He's, even at the time when he's the most popular person, he still blocks out time, goes somewhere alone just to pray. So chapter 5, verse 16 Uh, It sums it up. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Uh, Lonely places. He wasn't alone, he was with his Father. And it's quite interesting because if we understand that Jesus was in constant communion with his Father, and yet we see that he needed to set aside time, he needed to block out all distractions so that he could pray. And if he needed to do that, then it makes sense that we also need to do that. That we need to have time where the relationship is the focus, talking is the focus. See, that's what prayer is all about. And so I wonder, do you know that experience of being alone with your father do you know that experience of being able to talk freely to him? That, where prayer doesn't feel like this is this chore that I have to tick off for the day because the minister keeps telling me I have to, but rather I get to be with my father. Do you know that experience? I've seen prayer as, as a joy, something to look forward to, something that you do actually look to, to block out other things so that there is time for it. Is that something that you've come to know? Do you pray? Uh, or, I mean, or, or are your prayers uh, cold and impersonal, maybe even mechanical? They're you know, just saying the same thing every time. Uh, or are they warm? Are they personal, spontaneous? Uh, do you look forward to spending time with your Father? Do you know the joy of being able to say to God, Father, do you know that? Because that's what prayer is about. That's why we need to pray. We have this relationship with God as Father. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see, though, is not only only do we see why we need to pray, but we see how we need to pray. Uh, There are words that Jesus gives us. Now, remember... Our aim today is that we would have that attitude, Lord, teach me to pray. And what could be more practical than Jesus giving us the actual words to say? I mean, this is easy. This is terrific. Uh, And and these words, they they are words that are aimed at reshaping our prayers, refocusing our prayers. And the reason it does that is because they first reshape and refocus us. That's the way prayer works. So let's just read this prayer again. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now the first thing that probably strikes you um, as you hear that is uh, that it doesn't sound right. There's bits missing. That's not how I remember reciting the Lord's Prayer. Uh, What about um, your will be done? You know, what about our Father who art in heaven? And what about that other bit at the end that we sometimes say? Uh, Now, so this is different to to Matthew's record in the Sermon on the Mount. Here we have a shortened version. And so why the differences? The shortest answer to that is that Jesus taught this model of prayer on more than one occasion. And so... The disciple has asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he brings out teaching that he's already given in another context to reinforce it. But this time it's a shortened version. And that's helpful to think about because it shows us that this prayer is more than just a rigid form that we need to recite. I mean, it's certainly good to recite this prayer. That's a a great prayer as it stands. But when we see that Jesus gives... A shortened version, on occasions, that shows that the exact wording isn't the main thing. That the main thing is to learn this pattern for prayer, to learn that these are the things that should shape our prayers. So we have here a model or a pattern for prayer. And so that means we actually need to learn what they mean, what these statements actually mean, or these petitions. And as you can see, there's five petitions... So let's just think about each one uh, briefly now. Uh, first, hallowed be your name. Uh, could you explain to someone what that actually means? Hallowed be your name. I mean, has anyone here hallowed anything lately? See, that's a, it's a strange word. We don't use it very much. So what does it mean? Well, to hallow something means to treat it as sacred, to treat it as ultimate, to say that this is the most important thing to me. That's what it means to hallow something. And so. To hallow God's name, well, God's name stands for all that he is. So when we pray that God's name be hallowed, we're actually praying that God will be recognised for all that he is. That throughout the world, and and especially in our own lives, that God will be acknowledged for all that he is. That he would be worshipped for all that he is. That he would be loved and adored and obeyed for all that he is. That's what we're praying and so we can see that this is a transforming prayer because if you're going to seriously pray that, then something has to first happen in your own heart because naturally in and of ourselves, we live the very opposite of what that prayer is asking. You know, we, we, what we value the most is our reputation and our interests. That's what we want to come first. And yet here we have a complete turnaround where we're no longer as concerned for our own reputation and our own interests, but rather God's. We want his will to be done, which is the flow on from that. And so that's a complete turnaround where God's reputation and interests become number one uh, to us. Can you pray that? Second, uh, Jesus says, uh, teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, which is asking that God's kingly rule in Christ would be established throughout the whole world. So in practical terms, that means praying that people would become Christians because we're asking that, uh, that people would recognise Jesus as the true king. That's how you enter the kingdom, by receiving the king. And again, we can see that this is transforming because if you're going to pray that your neighbour would would come to know Jesus? Well, how can you pray that unless you're passionate for that and even want to be the person who goes and tells them about the King? Uh, this is a prayer, uh, your kingdom come. It's praying that those who, who do know the King would live for him in every sphere of life. You know, that the way they work, uh, the way their families operate, the way uh, they conduct themselves in, in any area that it would be done in obedience to the king, that people would recognise that Jesus is the king of their lives. And so, again, it's transforming. How can you pray that unless that's happening in your life? You know, to say, your kingdom come is to be saying, I want to live for the king. I want to be a messenger for the king. Uh, Yeah, so that's the first two petitions. And uh, as you can see, they're a complete refocus. It's a turnaround where the focus of my life now becomes God and his interests. And in that context, then our own needs, whatever need we have, we can now see it in the right light. And that's where Jesus goes on from here. So we have three petitions which are all about our needs. So the first one, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. And uh, I was thinking that uh, this week that, you know, baker's delight should make that their um, motto. On their um, buildings because um, they might sell more bread <laughs> you know they give so much away at the end of the day which is terrific which is almost an answer to that prayer uh, in a way but but it's actually not really because this is not just about bread okay if the people who, who fir- when Jesus first taught this people who listened they would hear bread and they would instantly think he's not just talking about bread he's talking about any daily need we have Because bread was the most basic thing that people had back then to live. And so it just stands for your most basic physical needs. Jesus is inviting us to ask God for our most basic needs in life. And again, there's a commitment to that. It's transforming. Because as we do that, what happens? We realise that we are dependent. That everything we have comes from God. You know, the, the ability to work, that comes from God. The, the food we have, everything, it comes from God. And so as we pray this daily, we're learning to depend on God, like children depending on their father. Uh, what's, what's our greatest need, though? Verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. See, sin is what separates us from God. And it's only when our sins are forgiven that we can be rightly related to God. And so we need forgiveness. And Jesus invites us to ask for that forgiveness. Even if you're a Christian, you still need to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis because we sin on a daily basis. And if we're in a relationship with God and he's our father, then you can't enjoy that relationship if there is unconfessed sin. And so that's why daily we need to be uh, seeking forgiveness. And again, there's a commitment in this, as you can see in the next line, for we also forgive those who sin against us. The idea here is that if you know God's forgiveness, then that transforms you into a person who can then forgive others. Uh, You can be a person who lets go of resentment, who, who doesn't hold that grudge anymore, He doesn't keep bringing up the the past wrong that someone has done to you. You learn to forgive. See, it flows from being forgiven by God. And then finally we have, uh, and lead us not into temptation, which is an admission of our own weakness and how vulnerable we are to give in to our sinful desires and to be led astray by the evil one. We are so vulnerable. And so we need to be praying to God, lead us not into temptation. What are we doing there? We're asking God to show us the way out that he promises to provide. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. It says um, that God will provide a way out in temptation. He provides it, but we fail to see it. And so we need to pray that we would see that way out, that we would be able to uh, overcome the temptations that come our way. Now, if we step back and look at those five petitions... Uh, God's reputation, His kingdom, our daily needs, uh, the need for forgiveness, the need to overcome temptation. You can see in those five petitions that this is the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? This, this is the very nuts and bolts of what it looks like to follow Jesus in the world. And so this prayer really is at the heart of what it means to be a believer. And so we do need to pray this prayer every day. This is not something we can say, well, that might be good for someone else, but not for me. No, no, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need this prayer. You need to pray this every day because this is at the very heart of what it looks like to be a Christian.